All right, can all the instruments please make their way back to the stage? <laughs> I seem to be battling with a frog in my throat. So as little as competition as possible is good. All right, so you might be surprised at what our next section in Mark is, and I'm going to ask you to turn there if you have your Bibles or your devices. In Mark chapter 10, verse 1, we're going to just read 12 verses this morning, and uh, we're going to tackle a topic which I, I was not so keen on in the beginning, but seeing God's wisdom in the way he's speaking through his word, I think we must let him have as much time as he needs this morning to deal with this very important topic. So let's read from Mark chapter 10, verse 1, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And Jesus left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, it's very important, in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Our friends, I want to remind you where we are at in the story of Jesus. He's left a town called Capernaum in the north of Israel, and he's heading to Judea and Jerusalem. And his disciples are terrified because Jesus is going to his death. He's just shared to them about how he must die. It's going to come up over and over again. And in verse 32 of the same chapter, they're amazed that this man is literally going into the most dangerous part of the country for him. Because Judea and Jerusalem was where the Pharisees and the politicians were stationed, and they hated Jesus. They couldn't stand him. And Jesus was still very popular at this point. He had a great crowd of followers that were gathering around him. And it's important that Mark points out over and over again what the ministry of Jesus was about. I want to remind everyone in the room this morning, it was not primarily about the miracles and the spectacular that Jesus was interested in. He used them in order to confirm and to portray his message. And again, I want to push back to this very postmodern phenomenon that we find in our day and age of people loving the person of Jesus but hating his message. Friends, you cannot separate one from the other. And so I want to just give you some comfort in God's word today. These are Jesus' words. They are for our good and for God's glory. But you cannot follow Jesus. Please listen to me this morning. You cannot follow Jesus 
because you like him as a man, but reject his message. And so his interest was to preach and teach. That was his custom. And you must understand the context and the spirit in which this question around divorce arises. It is a nasty stunt by the Pharisees. These Pharisees hated Jesus, and they ask him this question about whether it's lawful for a man to divorce his wife because they want to test him. And I want to remind you that it is a nasty stunt because no matter what Jesus says, it's going to damage his popularity. And I want to say to you today, the same pressure that Jesus was under 2,000 years ago is the same pressure I can still feel his words are under 2,000 years later. You must remember that he is in this crowd. There are divorcees listening to Jesus going through the desperate pain of being dropped by their husbands or wives for various reasons. What he says matters to those listening. And secondly, it's not just those that have gone through divorce. I want to remind you that in Israel at this time, there was a massive theological debate about what was allowed in divorce and what was not. Amongst the rabbis, there were two in the first century AD. There was a rabbi called Shimei, and he was an ultra-conservative. He says, you may not divorce your wife according to Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. And in that scripture, it says, if your wife commits an indecency, you can divorce her. And he said, that indecency may only be adultery or some sexual indiscretion. On the other side, you had this rabbi Hillel, who said, any shame that your wife brings on you, you can divorce her for. So if you invite friends around and she cooks a bad meal, you can say, ta-ta. <laughs> you laugh. You laugh. But I want to say to you, there were many women suffering because of that interpretation of Scripture. And I want to remind you that this was the only way women had financial security was marriage. And the reason why we will see Moses permitted a certificate was that she could remarry in order to survive. So we laugh, but it has consequences. And these guys are listening to Jesus, as many of you are listening today, so what is Matt and the elders' position on this? Where are they going to put the loopholes? And the last is I want to say, Jesus is preaching in an area where the guy who's ruling, Herod Antipas, murdered John the Baptist because John the Baptist called him out because of his unlawful marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife. And so these Pharisees, they are mean. They are nasty. They are trying to get Jesus to lose face. And you've got to understand, Jesus' words, they matter because it's having to take great courage to face this crowd and to say, this is God's ideal, and this is the teaching of Scripture, and whatever he says, he's going to face flack for, but he does it. But I want you to look at the spirit in which the question is asked, and I want to caution us against that same spirit today. Friends, if you are going to listen to the sermon merely to find loopholes to marriage, you miss the point. That's what the Pharisees were asking. They were saying, is it lawful? The only thing they were concerned about is, could you get out of marriage or not? Jesus says, don't you understand what God's heart for marriage is? He starts to talk about God's ideal, but more than that, he says, don't you know the reason for divorce? It's about the heart. It's hardness of heart. And friends, today, I don't want anyone to feel unsafe in this room. 
This is grace to us through God's word. But I do want to say, when I opened up the passage for the first time, my heart just dropped. Because who wants to talk about divorce as the second sermon for 2022, right? But the very next thing I felt the Lord say to me, Matt, it might not be on your people's mind that marriage matters, but it does to me. And this might be a lifeline to some this morning that need to hear that after the last two years, your marriage may need to move from a mere transactional account where you are just surviving out of duty to your vows and to the Lord into a space in which marriage was designed, which is good, a blessing, an edification, not only for you, but for the one that you married to. Friends, if you are going to have a marriage that is going to last, it is going to take every ounce of efforts. And I want to say to you today, you might be aspiring to marriage or remarriage. This is good for you. Because maybe you need some clarity and consolation from the Word of God around your past or around your future. And I want to say one more thing in my introduction this morning. Please, don't separate and say, well, I'm not married or I'm not divorced, so this doesn't matter. I want to say, guys, it does. I have noticed something as a pastor which is very powerful in the church. It is often those who are not married that are safe places for those who are to go to because it's not in any way uh, a loaded space. And I want to remind you very, very earnestly this morning, you must obey the words of Jesus very carefully. What God has joined, let no man separate. What you counsel your friend... Your brother and sister in Christ who is married, if you are unmarried or whether you are married, what you say to them, it matters to Jesus, friends. It matters to the Lord. And if we join the bandwagon of today where we simply bash because the spouse of our friend, because our friends aren't, we're supposed to be on their side, or we take sides without thinking carefully about what we're saying, we will find ourselves in the very camp that Christ warns us against. Please. Let SBC not be the place where we join the bandwagon of slander and gossip and assuming sides. Friends, when it comes to marriage, it affects every believer because I want to say what we are fighting for is a picture of Christ's love for you. Do you want a love represented to the world that should be Christ seen in marriage that is always looking for loopholes and how to get out? Let me tell you what your joy is this morning is a savior who is committed to a covenant relationship to you at your best and worst. Marriage matters to the believer because it communicates the heart of God for his people. And we must be the same. And we're going to answer the question about well, how, does, how does God handle divorce? But that's not the big, biggest question here. It's part of the question. The question is how do you have a great marriage and keep it that way? And for some of us this morning... This is a lifeline. It's a lifeline. And I want to say, oh man, if we will open our hearts to Jesus' teaching, there might just be grace for a year ahead that we didn't expect. And so my opening point this morning, I'm going to move quite rapidly, is a mean question. My, my, my point one is a mean question. In the first four verses we see the Pharisees test Jesus by asking this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? It interested me the other way, that they weren't bothered about asking the question the other way. Can a wife divorce her husband? They didn't care. But 
the point is this is Jesus answers tit for tat. He said, well, what does the law say? What does Moses say? And they answer correctly according to Deuteronomy 24. And they say, it's allowed as long as the husband gives a certificate of divorce to the now ex-wife. And the reason for that, as I mentioned earlier, was to protect the wife's financial security, that she could remarry. It was the only way women could uh, be provided for. But what strikes me about their question is they got an answer from Jesus that I don't think they expected. And my second point today is we see in Christ's answer, he goes to a much deeper reason for divorce, which is on God's heart this morning for us, which is hard-heartedness. And he also holds up God's design for marriage. And please, can I just say, from youngest to oldest, we must be very clear about what the Bible teaches on marriage, particularly in this day and age. Can I say to you this morning, marriage is at the lowest ebb it's ever been in the history of Western Europe, of westernized society. The marriage covenant is at its lowest in terms of honor and in terms of seriousness of gravitas than it's ever been before. And so Jesus' positive answer is very important around marriage for us as we're clear for what we are fighting for and what we are aspiring to this morning. And can I say under the second point of God's intended design for marriage is that we see in Scripture divorce is a concession. It is never a command. It's very important. Please hear my words, right? Divorce is a concession, and it's because of the fallenness of sin that divorce is given a place in Scripture. It takes into account the reality that marriages break up because of sin done to a spouse, or generally by both spouses. And it was never the intended design. Please hear that this morning. It was never the intended design around God's goodness in marriage. What Jesus does is he teaches in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, he takes us back to when there was no sin. And he said, what was God's heart for marriage? Right at the beginning of creation, and he says a few things, and this is what he says about marriage. It is heterosexual and monogamous. In other words, he says God made them male and female, and therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, not wives. It is between a man and a woman, a one woman, <laughs> one woman, not wives. And I want to say again, this morning in our postmodern age, do you notice that Jesus teaches that genders are fixed into biological camps? It is not fluid. Can I just gently say, if you are struggling this morning of whether or not you identify as being a man and a woman, I want to advise you to trust God's sovereignty in your life. If he chose you to be a man, trust it. If he chose you to be a woman, trust it. He made you that way. And if the God of all heaven and earth and of all wisdom and creation could, could design all of this beauty and wonder with such grace and glory, don't you think he put the same kind effort into designing what you should be like? And he goes on to say that not only marriage is heterosexual monogamous, it is the basis of a new independent family unit. In other words, when you get married, you form a new family. He says, 
A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And I want to remind moms and dads in the room today, your job is to foster your son or daughter's marriage as independent. Please do not be interfering. And I want to say to everybody here this morning who has a mom and dad still alive and are married, do not hide behind your parents as a way of fighting in your marriage. It is destructive. And going on to say, it is permanent. God's ideal for marriage is that you hold fast to your wife. And it's more than that. It's not just merely permanent because you are putting a ring on a finger. It's because God does something in marriage. Is what he does is he makes the two become one. And Paul calls it mysterious in Ephesians 5 verse 32. It says, and the two shall become one flesh, Jesus teaches from Genesis chapter 2. And what that means, church, please, we must not think carnally about marriage or secularly about marriage. What happens is the person who gets married, their identity changes in that moment. You know what happens, according to Paul? Is your spouse becomes an extension of yourself. That is what the world today needs to know. It's because what the world thinks marriage is, is I go in keeping my sense of identity and independence in this marriage, and it's about me and this other person. It's not us. It's not this one fleshness of actually saying what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. When you look after your wife, husbands, you are looking after your own flesh. Wives, when you serve your husband, you are looking after yourself. And the thing that destroys marriage is to go into and say, this is about what I am not getting and what they're getting and that bitterness that grows in between a couple, rather than saying their well-being, their, their prospering, their, their way of edification is not just them getting ahead in life and me being left behind. No, no, it's me being blessed because they're an extension of myself. Don't you know that's how Christ treats you? You are one with Jesus. You are a part of his body. The reason why marriage is so powerful is as you minister to your wife or to your husband, you are receiving the same or participating in the same ministry Christ is giving to his body, which is yourself. Paul says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And friends, this is why divorce and anybody in the room who's experienced it will tell you, it is so painful because it's not an uncoupling, it is a tearing of what is actually mysteriously one. And I want to just remind you this morning that God's grace in his kingdom flows towards his design for marriage, according to Genesis 1 and 2. In other words, Part of his ministry to you. you. This might be, you know, Joe mentioned needing God's faithfulness and maybe facing a difficulty. Maybe it's a marriage this year. Maybe your marriage is really tough at the moment. I want to counsel you this morning and say, if you will trust God's word, grace is flowing towards you and your covenant this morning. We're going to get to where you can be released from your vows with a clear conscience. But I want to say to you, it's a concession it's a concession. It's not a command. And this morning, we hold this ideal up for marriage because ultimately it is the picture of the gospel and how Christ holds up us up as his church. Point three, I must move on, is the real reason for divorce. Don't you think it's interesting that in verse five, Jesus says, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment. 
He says, divorce is a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of circumstance. Can you just hear me on that this morning? Divorce is not a matter of circumstance. Otherwise, we're all liars. Because when we got married, and when we aspire to marriage, before God, in this church, you will have to say, for better or worse, in sickness and health, till death do us part, do we part. In other words, what we are saying in marriage is what Jesus said to us in our gospel covenant, which is it doesn't matter what precious circumstance brings to bear on our marriage. I am giving you my heart. That's the power of marriage is you are saying to this person, I am yours, even though things externally may change. And friends, this morning, the reason why divorce happens isn't because we are not sincere in our vows. I have done a number of weddings. Some of you have done a lot more than me. But there's two couples are looking at each other and they are saying, yeah, for death to us, but I can't wait to kiss the bride. And nobody tells you when they get divorced, they saw it coming. Well, very few. I haven't met one yet. What happens is this. It's the consequence. Divorce is the consequence of entrenched sin, causing hardness of heart in one spouse or generally both which manifests, it comes out in harmful behavior, passive or active, leading ultimately to reconciliation being no longer possible. That's the problem. Is that one spouse or both get a hard heart, and because of that, friends, you don't have to be married today to know that whenever there's hardness of heart, it causes hurt. Amen? It causes hurts. And it manifests. I, I want to help you because you see when I get to the final point, which I'm almost there, is the problem you must look at is not the circumstances. Sure, they bring pressure to bear on the relationship. The problem is the heart. Please, I'm begging you this morning, don't look at the wrong thing. I'm asking you this morning, don't see the log in your spouse's behavior and what their decision-making has been before looking at I mean, the speck, I should say, in your spouse, look before looking at the log in your own eye. The problem that happens in marriage is the heart. It's the heart. And it manifests, this hardness of heart, please, it manifests in harmful behavior. It's the pointing of the finger attitude. It's being critical towards your spouse. They're always being wrong and you always being Right. It is unforgiveness, taking offense, building a fortress around the defense and refusing it to be assailed with appeals and regrets and, and, and apologies. It's giving the cold shoulder. It's biting and devouring each other verbally. It can lead to terrible things like verbal and physical abuse, selfishness, neglect, adultery, unbridled appetites like drunkenness, selfish ambition in work and play, refusal to listen, pride, and the list goes on and on and on. Friends, those are not just little things that are happening because of circumstances. They are manifestations of the heart. And if marriage is going to flourish according to God's design, that's where you've got to look. 
And for those of you counseling friends right now in difficult marriages, that's where you've got to go. That's where you've got to be faithful, is to go to the heart. And sometimes what happens, which Scripture allows for in very specific circumstances, because of this hardness of heart in one or both, reconciliation is no longer possible and divorce happens. And I know for every Christian here this morning, the question which is a right question because you want to please God, you want to know, how can I live with a clear conscience? If I'm stuck in a marriage today that is destroying me and my family, or I have made a decision to divorce in the past, or I'm on the brink of making one right now, what is pleasing to the Lord? That's what we must be asking ourselves this morning. Because ultimately, it's to Him we live for, and we give an account. Is we must be interested, what is pleasing to the Lord around this thing of divorce or marriage? Putting it both. Well, Jesus' teaching comes through in four verses in the Gospels, four sections. And Jesus is very specific. And I want you to stay with me because we're going to look at Jesus and Paul this morning. So just listen to Jesus first, then we'll listen to Paul. Is Jesus only gives one condition for divorce in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 19, which is sexual immorality, which is interpreted as adultery. And the reason why Jesus permits this is because under the Mosaic law, Adultery wasn't a reason for divorce, it was a reason for execution. So when, some of you might say, oh, I wish that was still in force, I can just, you know, some of you are very grateful. I'm making a joke, it's okay. But the point is this is, under the Mosaic law, adultery, the marriage was over anyway. And so Jesus interprets that into his teaching, as commentators say, and I, we agree with him as an eldership member, this is all vetted, I've sent this all through, this is where we stand as an eldership and as a church, is that Jesus is speaking here of when one offending spouse commits adultery, in that one fleshness, that marriage is done. However, however, done only if the offended spouse, no, if the offending spouse doesn't want to reconcile and carry on with the relationship, and the offended spouse doesn't want to reconcile. There are marriages in our church which have overcome adultery and are a picture and model for Marina and I today. I want to say to you today, marriage has a remarkable resilience if both hold to their covenants. But if you cannot, because of the one spouse or the other in the aspect of adultery, then God says, you're released from your vows. You can part. In terms of Jesus, any other reason is not permissible. Why do I say that? Because in Mark chapter 10 here that we read today, he repeats his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 teaching. He says this. He says it in a weird way, but he said it like this. And he said to his disciples, you asked us more questions about divorce after his public teaching. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. In other words, for any other reason outside of adultery, the one flesh union stands. And if these guys go on and marry, if one of those spouses go on and carry and marry another spouse, because that one flesh still stands, they're committing adultery. That's what Jesus is teaching. 
it's almost watertight. Jesus upholds Genesis 1 and 2 almost to perfection. Very different to today's attitude around marriage. Can I just say a friend who has overcome adultery in his marriage and is a model for my own today said, Matthew, I'm so saddened by how quick people tap out of their vows. I know what it means to persevere and enjoy the blessing of holding to Christ's ideal for marriage. Not everybody has that story, but I want to say too few get the opportunity to have that story because they count Christ's teaching of marriage so low. But then we come to Paul, and Paul is astounding because he knows the teaching of Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, as a pastor, this is, the, this is what happened to Paul. In Corinth, he was, they were preaching the gospel, and mostly women were getting saved. But what these women were finding was when they got home to their unbelieving husbands, the husbands said, get out, you're no longer a part of this family or packed up their family and left, and these women got home to nothing. They lost their children, they lost their husbands, and they lost their livelihood. It was devastating. And Paul is audacious in the way he interprets Christ's preaching when there is brokenness. Paul starts off in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 10 by upholding the ideal of saying, don't get divorced, don't. And that's the Lord's command. But he does something audacious. He says, but I say to you, if your husband or your spouse, your partner has left you, you're free to remarry. The Lord wants you to be at peace. He moves towards that brokenness pastorally under severe situations and he says, your conscience is clear, it's okay. You can have a fresh start. One commentator is so flabbergasted about Paul. He says, rightly or wrongly, Paul does it. Pastorally, he, he interprets Christ's concession of adultery and allowing a new start. He makes it pastorally with the sermon. He says, in this context of brokenness in the Corinthian church, when these women largely were devastated, their lives were totally wrecked, destroyed by the hard-heartedness of spouses who deserted them. He said, no, 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 don't you live without this idea that God is unmerciful to brokenness. He is, and in his own pastoral courses, this, God releases you. He releases you. You can have another chance. And friends, I want to say, how do we interpret this pastorally? Because on the one hand, you have Jesus' teaching, and on the other hand, you have Paul's teaching, and as elders in the church, we have to reconcile under the authority of the scriptures and accountability to God and say, how do we serve you? What do we say to you? Well, this is what we can see is that first and foremost, please, everybody in this room needs to know that the New Testament, when it comes to marriage, gives you the sense that this is it. It's it. Nobody, please, God forbid, must be going into marriage saying their covenant mouse, thinking, oh, there's a loophole if this doesn't work, and I can get out of it. Please. And if your spirit is like the Pharisees today, trying to see how you can get out of an uncomfortable situation without dealing with your heart, without doing due diligence pastorally with those that are over your care, over you to care, and without taking seriously your own conscience and the Word of God, friends, you're going to be in trouble. 
But this morning, I want to remind you, unless you have an attitude, please listen, this is D.A. Carson's words, and he's brilliant, and he's right. Unless you have an attitude, I better quote him directly here in case I do violence to his text here. He says this, we need this tough mentality to survive in marriage. If you don't have the mentality that this is it, oh, you're not going to have the guts to move through difficult seasons of the soul. Not so. Forgive me this morning, but I've looked at people who've had to navigate cancer. Paralysis, where the husband can barely talk. He lost, loses his limbs. You don't know how far love is calling you to go and how far it can by the grace of God until you see that mentality is the same Christ has for you. Christ looks at you and says, this is it. This person's my bride. This person, I'm their bride. It is it. At your best and at your worst, his mentality is a tough mentality that says, I am not going to change to the one I've bought with my very blood. This is the covenant grace we get to enjoy, friends. And friends, would you give the same to the spouse that is not always easy to love? I might say, neither are you. You enjoy this mentality from Jesus. You need the same mentality to survive in your marriage. Friends, it is it, according to the New Testament. Oh, but we can see, we can see that God is gracious towards brokenness. Man, Jesus gives concession for sexual immorality. Paul says, if there's desertion, any severe consequences of damage and destruction, marriage should be, re be released. There should be a permission for remarriage. And that's right. God is also the God of the second chance. But friends, it is not because a spouse merely has fallen out of love with the other or just grown apart or was annoying or somehow are just different, indifferent, interested in different things. Friends, there are extreme cases. And where there are cases like Paul had to deal with pastorally where there's Desertion, where there's violent physical abuse, sexual and emotional abuse, substance abuse and deprivation of the household, when the safety of children and spouses are at risk, then friends, under great discernment, not flippant and saying, oh, it's just a new chapter, not unilaterally saying, I'm, I'm done with my marriage, but under counsel from scripture, counsel from leadership, professional help, under conscience before God. You don't just make this in the flesh. You go to the Spirit and say, Lord, under all these things, what are you asking of me here? Under these weighty measures, do we say, yes, there's an opportunity to move towards a new start because of this brokenness. But it's not done because, oh, well, it's just a new step, a next season in my life. And friends, I want to say to you this morning, I beg you, I beg you to not be hasty, to separate. I'm sorry, my daughter's complaining because I'm getting so loud. Aren't you used to it, my darling? <laughs> is this, is that don't tap out of something which God has ordained, lightly. And where does that leave some here? Some of you, you know, in, in the, looking at this thing of divorce and looking back on your past and saying, I'm not sure if I divorced 
for the correct reasons. And you might be asking the question and saying, well, where does that leave me today? I want to just remind you, life is full of regret. Some of you might go, I wish I was wiser. I got married too young and I made some stupid decisions. I wasn't saved. I didn't know the counsel of God's word. I wish I could turn back the clock of time, but I can't. I want to say to you, oh, it's okay. It's okay. You haven't committed the unforgivable sin, according to one commentator. And what you do is this. You don't justify sin. You confess it. You put things right as far as you can, and this is what you do. You give that over to God, and you trust Romans 8.28, that God works all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. There are many remarried people in this church that are enjoying abundant grace from a merciful God. We never use Romans 8.28 to justify sin. You never use it preemptively saying, I'll do this so that I'll be okay on the other side. But friends, if it's happened and it's done, it's okay. You get up, you make right where you can, and you give that to Jesus, and you trust in his mercy. But can I just say in closing today, my fourth point is above all else, guard your heart. We don't want to just talk about divorce today and when it's permitted or not. We want to prevent it. I ask you this morning, where is your marriage? Please look at me. I ask you this morning, is it just transactional? What is the state of this person that has become an extension of yourself? And how seriously, in your thinking around 2022, do you take that? Ah, friends, because the best way of handling the discussion around divorce is to prevent it. <laughs> Prevention is better than cure. And can I just share a few tokens from my mom that she shared with me and Marina and from God's words very quickly. We want to just give a few highlights of how you can build into your marriage this year positively. Can I say the first thing is, stop trying to focus on the other person's behavior for just a moment, and can you just do a diagnostic of your own heart, okay? The most difficult thing in marriage is when one spouse always thinks the other one's wrong and they're always right. Please don't do that. If you are always right, you're wrong. Okay. I give permission of your spouse to say that. Secondly, I say this is, little foxes, according to Song of Songs, are a fence, and they creep in so quickly, not so. Don't leave them, they don't go away, they just grow. We have a nasty way of the scorecard, right? You know, the best advice my mother gave Marina and I, well, she said this, my boy and my girl, you be quick to say sorry and mean it. What that means is, you make a gracious space in your marriage. Is your marriage at the moment a gracious space? Or does your spouse feel like the scorecard is very strict and hard to keep up with? I also want to say this. If two have become one flesh according to Jesus, there is a radical way. Please listen to me now. There is a radical way you must think about your marriage. It is no longer me versus him or me versus her. It is us. It is us. <laughs> right. 
That's my Anna, would you mind just taking them to the overflow room for me? Thank you. Thanks, Dad. Oh, I've got backup this morning. <laughs> I'm almost there. Just give me three more minutes. Three more minutes. Maybe five. Okay. Can I say to you, so what happens is this. Listen to me quickly. This is important. When you do conflict, it's not me versus you. It's not what's between us. You put it on the table. Some of us have to stop the way we, we're talking to each other and holding onto things. What you do if you are struggling to resolve something is, even in your heart when you have the conversation and you're angry with your spouse, is it's not me versus him or her. It's we've got to sort something out here. It's us. It what goes on the table because you have to team on it. If you can't get it right together, you're not going to get it right at all. And so this morning, I want to say your language in conflict and your language in the way that you see your identity in life must change. Is this person and their well-being is an extension of yourself and you talk to them that way. You don't allow anything to separate that and you come around in your discussion. It might be difficult, it might be tough, but you never, ever, ever let that thing stay between you. You put it on the table. You've got a team. Sometimes you need professional help to do that. You need a neutral person to do that well. Do it, because my next point is get help early. Oh, I missed one out. Expect marriage to test you. You know, sometimes, can I just say to you, Ooh, I don't know if I want to, but I'm going to say it anyway. Your pathway to reward in heaven is a difficult spouse. It is. One of the thorn in the flesh can be a bad marriage. Do you know that? I'm just, I'm, please, Lord Jesus, no. You might be praying three times, three times like Paul, would you please take this thorn? From, uh, you might feel it's like demonic oppression. <laughs> Can I say to you, John Wesley had a wife that heckled him from the front. That's how bad his marriage was. Imagine Marina sitting there saying, you idiot. You know what you're talking about, you twit. Why did you come home and make your bed? Why didn't you pick up your socks? She sniggered at him whilst he preached. It could be your path, but if you don't think marriage is not going to test you, don't trust Hollywood. It's the biggest sort of junk in the world. There they go up into that. You know, they always end with the sunset, never the fight the next day. The next is this, is please watch your mouth. Can I say, I'm busy doing a study of Proverbs. It is wisdom from heaven. And the thing that I've been meditating on is death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. How we speak to one another, it's like grace in a marriage or the absence of it. Would you be committed to watching carefully in the way you speak? It will be the greatest struggle of your life, but you'll get better by the help of the Spirit. Would you take conscious effort to affirm, to be grateful, to, to edify your spouse, and when you bring across something difficult, to not make them feel rejected when you do? It will be a lifelong lesson, but it, it will be grace to your marriage. Even if you think you shouldn't have to say it, say it anyway because your spouse will appreciate it. Avoid temptation. Oh my goodness, Proverbs 5 is full of all sorts of things, but you're going to have to avoid. Is there anybody here, I have to say it, who is emotionally involved in another person and you shouldn't be? Get out. This is your warning. Get out now. If you are being tempted by someone who likes to wander from home, or you are having some relationship which is closer than your spouse, you get out of that immediately. It never leads to life. Take time to invest in your marriage. Purity is positive, friends. It's not just damage control. You know, we did the Alpha Marriage course a couple of years ago. It was brilliant. It's running in February. You don't have to have a broken marriage. 
You just want to make it stronger. Do it. Take time to invest in your marriage this year. Oh, grab moments to pray together. You know, Marina and I are not good at praying together. I'll be honest with you. We haven't quite gotten it right with just our schedules and our time, but what we are good at is if she's stressed, I grab her in the kitchen, I hold her, and I pray the prayer that she really needs for that day. It's amazing. At night, we stress about something with the kids. Hold hands, we pray about it before we go to sleep. Those moments, you don't have to have your 15 minutes. Ever. If you do, well done. You are better than me. But in life, you guard those moments of leaning into the grace of God for your marriage. Do it. Lastly, second lastly, can I just say what this comes down to? And men, please hear me here. You have to take the lead. You are team captain in marriage. Doesn't excuse wives' responsibility, but they are often better at this than us. Is the bottom line is you don't let distance creep into your marriage in any way, and you are the ones that have to fight for it. You have to. You both fight, but you have to lead it. And all of these are things where you're going, I'm not allowing our lives to become a separate entity which damages the one flesh. Because lastly, can I just say, don't ever think neglecting your marriage is spiritually helpful. It's not. You know what Peter says to, to husbands who are not being understanding towards their wives? He says, you better make sure that you are because otherwise God's not going to hear your prayers. He says it. For the sake of your prayers, you make sure you live with a clear conscience before God in your marriage. No one wins. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, when marriage breaks. Some of you have got the chance now. Take hold of it. Some of you may have a chance in the future. Go into it with God's design and heart. And make sure you marry somebody as far as possible who shares the same idea of marriage and God's scriptures around it. Who's a believer and lives in the fear of God. And then lastly, I just want to say, God will be faithful to you. Maybe you've come out of a difficult and destructive marriage. It has been a joy to see how God puts people together again. And what seems like something that has defined you, let me tell you, under grace, God redeems. And so this morning, I want to encourage you. Let's be obedient to Scripture. Let's defend what expresses our gospel covenant. And let's trust in the leadership of the Lord, who is merciful and is able to lead us into his perfect promises. Even Romans 8.28. Let's pray. Father, I'm just aware that this morning perhaps many of us have observed bad marriages. I just get these flashbacks of how maybe some of us here in your life, your mom and dad had a terrible marriage. And this has been a deep scar. Maybe 
It's been your experience of marriage today. And this has been a painful sermon for you. But I just really feel in the Lord this morning that he wants you to look at how Christ is married to you. That in him you have a perfect spouse. And that relationship is redemptive. So Lord, I want to pray that you would just come and bring healing to that hurt now in Jesus' name. That Lord, there would be a space in this room and in our hearts for you to come and put your hand by the Spirit and touch that area with your covenant love this morning and to bring restoration. That marriage is your design, Lord. It's not your mistake. And I pray, Lord, for those that are in a marriage today, I pray that, Lord, there would be grace to stand afresh in it and to move it from mere duty to delight. That, Lord, I pray of the marriages in SBC and beyond, and especially for all of us that are exposed to friends and extended family that have difficult marriages, give us wisdom not only within marriage but how to counsel, how to be careful, and how to uphold what it means to be faithful to you. We ask these things in your precious and wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Woo. Do we have time for one more song? No, my anchor says no. I'm 20 minutes over. Nothing new. Okay. Right, if you need to go, you're welcome to go. If you'd like to worship, please stay. But the service is officially done. If you have questions like the disciples, I'm sure there were many. Please don't hesitate to contact myself or one of the elders in the weekend. God bless you. See you next Sunday. for